From Islamic Finance News, the world's leading Islamic finance news provider, this is IFN Podcast. It's a privilege to be with you here today to talk about the Bank of England's work on Islamic finance and to announce the launch date for our new Sharia-compliant, non-interest-based deposit facility, the first such account from a Western central bank. The facility in which deposits from Islamic banks will be backed by a return-generating fund of high-quality Sharia-compliant assets will further strengthen the United Kingdom's role as the leading international financial centre for Islamic finance outside the Muslim world. But it also goes deeper because the core principles of Islamic finance are strikingly well-suited to responding to some of the biggest challenges we will all face in rebuilding our economy once COVID has passed. Prioritising equity-like risk-sharing over debt, factoring ethical and environmental considerations into investment decisions, and embracing innovative financial solutions beyond traditional banking. And that lies four square within the Bank of England's mission to promote the good of the people of the United Kingdom Muslim and non-Muslim alike. Islamic finance is a global success story. With assets of $2.4 trillion in 2019, that's 11% higher than a year earlier and fully a third bigger than in 2015. Three quarters of those Islamic finance assets are held by banks and are large enough to play a systemic role in 13 countries. There's also a nascent Islamic insurance industry and a much larger capital market anchored around the growing stock of Sukuk issued by companies and in governments and over 1,500 Sharia-compliant investment funds. So far, so impressive. But what you might ask, does all this have to do with the UK or the Bank of England, when the centre of gravity for Islamic finance lies in the Middle East, North Africa, South and Southeast Asia? Well, the fact is that outside those regions, the UK is the preeminent centre for Islamic finance. And that reflects its significant, well-established domestic Muslim population, its strong relationships with the wider Muslim world, and its deep expertise in financial market origination and distribution, embedded in a mature legal and regulatory framework. Indeed, Islamic finance in the UK goes back many decades, from commodity-based short-term liquidity management and trade finance in the 1970s to the first UK Islamic bank, investment funds and insurance firms in the early 1980s. I'm proud to say that the Bank of England has been involved throughout those developments. A key moment, which some of you will recall firsthand, came in 2003, when our then governor, the late Sir Edward George, delivered a speech in which he talked about being touched by the plight of Muslim neighbours who'd had to use a conventional interest-bearing mortgage to purchase their home reluctantly and against their principles. He reflected on how sad and unnecessary this seemed, given the UK financial system's capacity for innovation in meeting the needs of different parts of society. To put that right, the bank asked a senior working group drawn from the public and the private sectors to identify the changes needed to legal tax and regulatory arrangements. Those changes formed the foundations of the systems we have today. They were subsequently reinforced by a 2007 FSA paper articulating how Islamic finance could be fairly and consistently supervised within a secular regulatory framework. 13 years on, one of the co-authors of that paper, Arshador or Ash Rahman, known to many of you attending Islamic Finance Week, 
is the driving force behind our new facility. The regulatory approach set out by Ash and his co-authors still applies today. A preference for principles over excessively rigid rules, able to respond to diverse and evolving markets and reduce the scope for regulatory arbitrage. <clears throat> Avoiding unnecessary regulatory obstacles to Islamic finance while giving no special favours and recognising we are secular, not religious regulators who cannot opine on Sharia compliance and equally cannot disapply regulations either. To deepen our international engagement further, the Bank of England joined the Islamic Finance Stability Board as an associate member in 2015. That approach has paid off. Today, the UK is home to four exclusively Islamic banks with assets of over £5 billion. More than a dozen conventional banks offering Sharia compliance services, a host of investment firms and a thriving advisory sector. Of course, there have been many challenges over the years, but none quite perhaps as serious as the COVID pandemic. The human cost has been enormous, as has the economic impact, particularly in parts of the Muslim world. And I know that some worry that COVID might slow the pace of growth in Islamic finance as economic activity declines and market participants revert to more conventional tools to meet the daunting financing needs of the crisis. But that needn't be so, because key aspects of Islamic finance make it particularly well suited to financing the post-COVID recovery. First, the philosophical focus on equity-like sharing of risk and reward will become increasingly relevant as market participants get to grips with the scale of debt accumulated in response to COVID. The attractions of debt are obvious when interest rates are so low, particularly for those who can lock in long-term fixed rates in local currencies. But for those borrowing at floating rates, at short maturities or in foreign currencies, face sharp negative income shocks when rates rise, debt rolls over, or local currencies depreciate. Risk-sharing contracts, including those promoted by Islamic finance, pose materially lower medium-term risk to stability. And the Bank of England has long advocated the risk-sharing merits of GDP-linked instruments, for example, which could be packaged in sukuk form. And together with the Treasury and the FCA, we've recently announced a high-level working group to consider ways in which financial markets might more effectively support longer-term productive investment. Second, Islamic finance seeks to avoid investing in socially detrimental activities. In fact, it was pro-ESG before the term was ever invented. Issuance of so-called green sukuk has risen sharply in the last three years, and the Islamic Development Bank issued an innovative $1.5 billion sustainability sukuk in June. But these are still pretty modest numbers relative to the vast sums of money now looking to invest in credible ESG assets. So there's plenty of scope for further growth. Third, the prohibition on many forms of traditional banking in Islamic finance should naturally spur exploration of more innovative forms of intermediation. There's great interest in exploring the scope for Islamic fintech like Sharia-compliant e-money platforms and peer-to-peer -peer lenders to tackle a range of issues, including financial inclusion. The UK is a world leader in that sector. As well as supporting the safe development of new types of Islamic finance, we also recognize some of the challenges facing more established parts of the sector. 
Islamic banks, for instance, have long faced profound challenges in efficiently managing their liquidity. And it's here that the Bank of England's new non-interest-based central bank deposit facility is designed to help level the playing field. All banks need to manage expected and unexpected outflows, for example, as depositors make payments or withdrawals. Conventional banks hold a range of high-quality liquid assets to meet those obligations, including cash and central bank reserves, government and corporate debt, and asset-backed securities and commercial paper. They can also borrow in secured and unsecured money markets and as a backstop from central banks. But Islamic banks' prohibition on the payment or receipt of interest means they can't access many of those tools. To avoid being caught short, they've historically had to structure their business in inherently narrow or inefficient ways, for example, by holding large stocks of non-interest-bearing cash or limiting their offerings of short-term deposits. Ironically, this left them well-placed to weather the global financial crisis of 2008. In aggregate, UK Islamic banks remained liquid at that time in a market where liquidity was otherwise very scarce. But they found it harder to adjust to the post-crisis Basel III liquidity rules, which gave centre stage to the very instruments they were prohibited from holding, including government bonds such as UK gilts and US treasuries, and remunerated central bank reserves accounts. To meet this challenge, the Basel liquidity rules give national supervisors discretion to treat Sukuk as high-quality liquid assets, or HQLA, subject to haircuts or other conditions. The consequent increase in demand from Sukuk from banks that came from that change was one factor boosting issuance of Sukuk in recent years. But the proportion of Sukuk classes eligible for regulatory buffers is still pretty modest compared to demand. And as a result, while Sukuk can provide a reliable medium-term store of value, the relative scarcity of HQLA-eligible stock can give rise to uncertain price movements, especially in stressed markets, reducing the value that's readily realizable and making it harder for banks to increase their holdings quickly when required. All of this means that Islamic banks can face a somewhat uneven playing field relative to conventional banks when it comes to liquidity management. Unable to use liquid gilts or interest-bearing reserves accounts at the Bank of England to meet short-term outgoings, they've tended to hold inefficiently large stocks of cash at zero return or higher yielding but somewhat less liquid Sukuk. And that's where our new alternative liquidity facility, or ALF for short, should make a real difference. Initially, we'd hoped Islamic banks might be able to use our normal reserve accounts by agreeing to forego any interest paid, as many observant Muslim customers do on their retail bank accounts. But on further investigation, this solution proved unworkable. Reserves accounts were too intimately bound up with the concept of interest given their core role in implementing monetary policy. And the disparity in return offered to Islamic and non-Islamic banks when bank rate was higher would have left a decidedly uneven playing field. Work therefore commenced in 2015 to assess the feasibility of establishing a standalone non-interest-based facility. Recognising the limits of our knowledge of Islamic finance, we drew on the expertise of fellow central bankers across the Middle East and Asia, including those from Bahrain, Malaysia and the UAE. In light of that research, we triaged a number of potential models to gauge which might fit best with the specificities of the UK market. 
we consulted publicly on those options in 2016 and again in 2017 to fine tune our intended approach. And today, after a long and comprehensive process, I'm pleased to announce that the alternative liquidity facility will be open for business from the first quarter of 2021. The new facility will provide UK Islamic banks and indeed any other UK banks with formal restrictions on engaging in interest-based activity with greater flexibility in meeting HQLA requirements, enabling them to hold a reserves-like asset in a non-interest-based environment. The ALF will be structured as a wakala or fund-based facility, a commonly used model in Islamic finance. In simple terms, that means that participant deposits will be backed by a fund of assets, the return from which, net of hedging and operational costs, will be passed back to depositors in lieu of interest. The strengths of this model include its conceptual and practical simplicity and its flexibility to accommodate future changes in what is a still fast-developing market. The ALF will grow as the UK Islamic Bank sector grows, and it will be well-placed to exploit any further diversification in HQLA-eligible Sukuk. Over the coming months, we'll finalise legal documentation, complete our operational testing, and begin the onboarding process for eligible applicants. Firms should expect to commence this work from January 2021. Once operational, the ALF should help put the UK Islamic finance sector on a more level footing with the rest of the market, giving firms here greater flexibility in meeting their liquidity requirements and helping them to compete with conventional peers or staying true to their founding principles. We've come a long way since Eddie George's speech almost 20 years ago, but one thing that remains more important to us than ever is working with you. The liquidity facility I've described here today is in no small part a product of close and committed cooperation between the bank, industry bodies, and the private sector. It's a real step forward, but it's only one step. Through continued engagement and focused effort, together we can build a more innovative, diverse, and inclusive marketplace, one which really can meet the needs of every part of our society. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on the Islamic finance industry, log on to www.islamicfinancenews.com. You can also listen to IFN Podcast on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.